Welcome to these Bible lessons on the Old Testament. In these lessons, we'll cover God's magnificent creation of all the world, including the creation of man, the crown of God's creation. We'll follow with the sad fall of man in paradise and the consequences this brought to the world. In the continuing lessons, we'll teach how God visits men with the revelation of His covenant of grace. When we travel together through the entire Old Testament, we see God visiting His nation of Israel with revelations of this covenant of grace, pointing constantly to the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope these lessons are a blessing to you. Thank you. Welcome back to our Old Testament Bible History Series. This time it is Lesson 21 about God preserving or keeping Jacob by grace. Before we start this lesson, I'd like to present you with a picture to think about through this whole story about Jacob. Have you ever seen a tree high on a hillside in the middle of a giant windstorm? I would like you to try to imagine that tree. Imagine that tree bending over at a steep angle and its branches thrashing back and forth. And after the windstorm passes, this tree is still standing strong. How has that tree become so strong to survive so many windstorms? To understand the answer to that question, we have to think about what is happening in the tree and not really about what is happening to the tree. So please keep that in mind in this history of Jacob. There will be many storms happening to Jacob, but the key part is what is going to be going on inside Jacob. Because Lesson 21 covers six different chapters of the Bible, I am going to tell the story in two videos. This video is part one, and I will speak about Genesis chapters 28 through 30. In the next video, or part two, I will speak about Genesis chapters 31 through 33. To help keep the story simple and easy to follow, I would like to give you one key word for each chapter. Our story starts in chapter 28 with parting and a promise. 29 is about providence. 30 is about possessions. 31 is about pursuit. 32 is about prayer. And our story ends in chapter 33 with presence and again parting. So let's join our story then at the beginning of chapter 28 where we learn about parting and a promise. 
We join our story as Isaac is again giving the blessing to Jacob. He commands him to go to Paddan Aram. This is the same area as Haran. There he is to marry a daughter of Laban. He was to marry his mother's niece. Jacob is clearly the heir of the promise. The blessing that was given to Abraham so many years before, then to Isaac, now belongs to Jacob. Jacob leaves the family settlement with the blessing, but he also leaves with something else. Do you know what that is? He leaves with a guilty conscience. He knew why Esau planned to kill him. Jacob remembers how he and his mother had tricked his father into giving him the blessing. God was with Jacob, but Jacob probably felt very lonely. The twin brothers are now separated, and until they meet again, the Bible only has a few verses about Esau, but several chapters on Jacob. Before we see what happens to Jacob, let's turn our attention quickly to Esau. The rest of Esau's story shows us that he was busy trying to please his father. Maybe he was trying to get his father to give him a more favorable blessing now that Jacob was gone. You might wonder, how did Esau try this? Well, he heard that Jacob was going to marry his cousin. He thinks, I will also marry a cousin, a granddaughter of Abraham. And so that's what he does. He marries the daughter of Ishmael. But by trying to fix one mistake, Esau makes another. You see, he was already married to two Canaanite wives. Marrying more than one wife is called polygamy. This goes against God's design for marriage to be between one man and one woman. Esau needed to repent of all of his sins and not think that he could fix all of those things he had done wrong by doing one thing right. That's the short history of Esau that we have from this chapter. Let's return to Jacob's flight away from Esau on the day this all started. His flight from Esau takes him about 80 kilometers away from Beersheba. He's very tired. It is night and he needs sleep. Jacob takes a stone and he uses it for a pillow. Soon, God sends a dream to him to teach him something. In this dream, Jacob sees a great ladder, a stairway, stretching from right there beside him all the way up to heaven. At the top of the stairway, he sees the Lord himself standing there. There are many angels going up and down this stairway. This dream has a lot of meaning for Jacob because this stairway connected Jacob on the earth with the Lord in heaven. 
All of the events on earth are known by God. This was very comforting for Jacob. These angels also had a purpose. You may know that angels are God's helpers to carry out his plan and will. They are servants of God. It is not as if God needs help because he is not strong enough, but instead, God is strong enough, but he is pleased to use angels as his servants. The work of these angels was constant because they never rested in their journey up and down this stairway. Angels never rest in God's service. It is as if they are going up to God to give a report of their work on earth and then to receive new commands from God. But there is more in this dream. It is like a glorious ray of sunshine in the middle of this dark night for Jacob. God says to Jacob, I am your God. I will keep my covenant. And in verse 15, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Jacob is comforted and encouraged with this message from God. Early in the morning, he takes his pillow stone, sets it upright, takes some oil and pours it over the stone, anointing it. He names this place Bethel, which means house of God. The Lord was in that place with him. So far in our story, we have parting and a promise. In chapter 29, we can see the key word of God's providence. As Jacob sets out from Bethel, he travels several hundred more kilometers and comes to the well just outside of Haran. He sees some shepherds with their sheep and he comes closer. Where do you come from? He asks them. The answer is surprising. We're from Haran, just over there. Really? Haran? Do you know Laban? You do? How is he doing? The shepherds say, Laban is fine. And they let him know that they expect Rachel, Laban's daughter, to be arriving shortly to water her sheep. Can you believe it? God's providence has directed Jacob right to the well where he was going to meet his future wife. All of these things just seem to happen, but God directs all of these events also in your life and in my life. Rachel arrives at the well with her flocks and Jacob generously works to water the entire flock for her. He greets Rachel with a kiss the normal way that relatives were greeted at that time. Jacob returns home with Rachel. He is welcomed into their family 
and he stays and works there for a month. During this time, he falls in love with Rachel, as she is very beautiful and attractive. He agrees with Father Laban that he will work for free for seven years and then be allowed to marry Rachel. Well, these seven years as a hired shepherd just zoom past for Jacob. It seems that in no time at all, the wedding feast has been prepared and the wedding day has arrived. But Laban is not an honest man. On the night of the wedding feast, Laban gives away sister Leah instead of Rachel, as he agreed. Jacob does not figure that out, that he has been tricked until the morning. Jacob, the one who tricked his father for the blessing, has now been tricked himself. The Lord is teaching Jacob a painful lesson to hate lying and cheating others. Jacob demands an answer from Laban about this cheating. In the end, Laban agrees that Jacob can marry Rachel also the following week if he agrees to stay and work for another seven years. So now in one week, Jacob has four wives. These are Leah and Rachel, along with their maids, their female slaves that stayed with them. Their names were Zilpah and Bilhah. Now I notice that verse 31 says that Leah was hated by Jacob. This is a really strong word. And here it means that Jacob preferred Rachel instead of Leah. He did not love Leah as he should have. The Lord noticed that Leah was loved far less than Rachel. So in his providence, he blessed her with four sons. I would like to encourage you to read their names at the end of chapter 29. I think you will be able to see from these names that she is longing and aching for the love of her husband, Jacob. With the birth of her fourth son, Judah, you can see her thankfulness to God. This part of our story ends our focus on chapter 29 and providence. Let's now look in chapter 30 at Jacob's possessions. It is at this part of our story that we have learned that Leah was a mother of four boys. To be a mother of children is a great blessing, but it had a special honor attached to it at this time because it meant that possibly the Savior would be born from your family. In verse 22, we learn that God remembered Rachel and provided her with a son. They named him Joseph. After all this, the seven years of work for Rachel were over, and Jacob wants to leave to return to Canaan. Jacob had been here 
for about 14 years and still trusted the promise that God had spoken to him in his dream at Bethel. Hearing this news that Jacob wants to leave, Laban makes quite a fuss. Laban was greedy and not a God-fearing man. He wants Jacob to stay. And it is not because his two daughters and 12 grandchildren were going to leave. Laban knows it's only because of Jacob that his household and his flocks were so greatly blessed by God. He doesn't want to lose this benefit. But Jacob insists, and Laban gives up. Okay, what do I owe you? What are your wages? Jacob's answer, nothing. Jacob instead suggests that he will stay on as a shepherd for a while longer and that his wages would be the newborn goats, sheep, and cattle. Jacob suggests that they go through the herds and take out the spotted goats and the brown sheep. And then in the future, all the spotted goats or brown lambs that would be born would belong to Jacob. Laban agrees quickly. He thinks that it is impossible for spotted goats or brown sheep to be born because there are none of them in the flocks that Jacob is taking care of. Now would be a good time to read what Jacob says in verse 33. So shall my righteousness answer for me when it shall come for my hire. He is willing to leave the amount of his wages up to God and his providence. Remember we talked about the windstorm and the tree? We can see that these storms in Jacob's life have been doing something not only around him but in him. Jacob is trusting God for his wages. He is not the scheming, plotting person who was greedy and would grab whatever he could. Jacob worked hard to manage and grow the size of the flocks. But it was God who directed and planned the events. God planned it so that even among the normally white sheep, there were brown lambs being born. Among the black goats, there were spotted goats being born. God caused the coloring of the sheep and the goats to be such that Jacob's flocks and herds grew really large. God blessed Jacob very much, and he became very, very rich. Jacob understood that his greedy ways were no longer in God's favor. He understood that blessing and favor can only come from trusting God. This brings us to the end of our chapter on possessions. It has taken quite long to get through this part of the story. But I ask for your attention for a few more minutes as we look at the connection that this story has to us. Let's look at what this story tells us about who God is and about what God does. First, let's look at Jacob's dream in Bethel 
to learn a little about who God is. God sometimes used dreams to show things about himself. Remember that Jacob had no Bible like you and I. In this dream, Jacob on earth was connected to God in heaven by a ladder or a stairway. This points forward to the coming Savior. The coming Savior was the only way to be restored in a relationship with God. Christ even calls himself the way. The only way a sinful man can approach a holy God is by and through Christ. You see, we can use the words of Christ himself to shine a light on this dream. He says in John 1 verse 51 to one of his followers that, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This Son of Man is Christ. He says about himself that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's in John 14, verse 6. Christ is the bridge, the connection between God and man. Next, let's look at Bethel to learn a little about what God does. Naming happens in the Bible for many reasons. And here it points to Jacob's experiences here at Bethel. Bethel means house of God. He said this was the gate of heaven, that the Lord was in this place. This is one of the first examples in the Bible where God is showing and announcing that it is his desire to dwell with his people. This is what God does. He dwells with his people and he loves to do that. Are you curious if there are other examples from the Bible that add to this picture of God dwelling with his people? Here at Bethel, God was with Jacob. Here is another one. In Exodus 29, verse 45, God says that he will make the tabernacle holy and he will dwell among the children of Israel. Let's fast forward to the time of Solomon when he built a beautiful temple in Jerusalem. Solomon dedicated this temple with a speech announcing that this was a temple for God to dwell in. But it is not just the buildings where God dwells with his people. All of these Old Testament stories are part of a puzzle that is perfectly finished in the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 1, verse 23, we learn, They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God dwells in Christ. God dwells in each of his children through his spirit. You can read that 
in Ephesians 2, verse 22. So there are many examples of God desiring to dwell with his people. These are finally all wrapped up in a wonderful verse from Revelations 21, verse 3, that explains the full purpose, the full picture. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. It is my prayer that every single one of you listening may pray to God that he would also be your God, that you may also dwell with him and him with you. In this video, we have learned about God's keeping of Jacob by grace, by looking first at parting and a promise, then at providence, and finally at possessions. In our next lesson, which is part two, we will look at the next three chapters and the three keywords, pursuit, prayer, and presence. It will end the same way it began, with a parting between Jacob and Esau. That is in our next video.